Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Donald Bryson joining us from the John Locke Foundation, one of their officers, someone who's been on the front line with grassroots groups. He has worked with Civitas. He's done a great deal of polling around the state, someone who I've known for almost 20 years. Donald, welcome to the show. How the heck are you today? Well, I'm doing well, and I'm glad to hear you on uh, on radio, Chad Adams. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that Pete's not feeling too well today, but I'm, I'm glad to be talking with you, and I'm glad to be talking to this great audience in Charlotte. It, it, it's absolutely a pleasure. And, Donald, you know, you've been on the front lines and still are. Uh, with this, you know, we have talked about certificate of need laws for, for going on multiple decades, probably three decades now, and the Medicaid expansion has been something Democrats have wanted for years. They want every day. It's an insufferable line from the governor, Roy Cooper, uh, that w- wants this. He, he was giving, throwing accolades to the Republicans that are bringing this about. Can you kind of tell us what, what really brought this to the front, because people like Donnie Lambeth and others that are well-meaning Republicans, I know, are saying, "Hey, we need it. We need to fill in this coverage gap." Rather than finding a way that's not government, they find a way to expand government. What am I missing here? Um, well, I mean, I, I think in some ways you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, in in some ways, I think that there are good intentions, and in some ways, I think that we can't ignore the fact that. Uh, the healthcare lobby in North Carolina, specifically the hospital association, but some other groups too, uh, wield an immense amount of power with the sheer number of lobbyists they have down at the General Assembly, the number of, uh, the amount of political money that they move around in election cycles. And so finally, what we have is, um, Republicans who, uh, the party of, you know, repeal and replace Obamacare since 2009, um, states are falling like dominoes, and now you know North Carolina is going to be the 49th or the 40th state, or the 39th state plus DC, to uh, expand Obamacare or expand Medicaid through Obamacare in, in North Carolina. Uh, I think that's a mess. I think there are a lot of other ways to help people. It's the point of Medicaid expansion is to actually help people. Uh, there are other ways to do it rather than give them health insurance, which is essentially what this is. We have a serious supply side problem in North Carolina. We don't have enough health care providers and health care services in our state. So imagine, Chad, if we passed a, uh, a government in- insurance program to make sure that everyone has car insurance, but we had another law in place that prevented the amount of mechanics that could be in the state so that when people needed to use that insurance, there weren't enough mechanics to go around to do it. That's essentially what we have here when we expand Medicaid, but we don't get rid of certificate of need. And, and and absolutely true. We're, we, we've got to dovetail into certificate of need. The, the the Medicaid expansion part, though, is there any Republican that you have seen that have said ten years from now Medicaid will be run more efficiently, more effectively, and at a lower cost than it is today? No, I've, I've not heard that. Uh, you know, the state has moved uh, to a, a managed care model in Medicaid in a lot of ways to help control costs. You know, you remember it wasn't too long ago that our state had. 300, 400 million dollar annual cost overruns in Medicaid. And so we've now switched to managed care. And that was good policy overall. And nobody's saying get rid of Medicaid. Uh, but, you know, we still have reports coming out from the auditor's office. I think just last year, Beth Wood, who is a Democrat, by the way, 
um, was saying you know, there are serious fraud problems going on. Uh, we're not verifying that you know people's eligibility into Medicaid. And so while that, we know that that is going on, and the Foundation for Government Accountability says that Medicaid expansion has accounted for nearly a hundred billion dollars in federal uh, in wasted federal dollars um, nationally. Uh, you know, Republicans are essentially saying, with Republican majorities, let's add another half million people onto the state Medicaid rolls, making this the largest expansion of entitlements in state history. Uh, largest entitlement expansion in, in Medicaid history. And, and, and to your point a minute ago about waste, fraud, and abuse, uh, over 10 years ago, there was almost $3 billion alleged annually in waste, fraud, and abuse in Medicaid. And that's not getting better. That's going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're not. They're, they're, okay, well, let me let me ask it a different way. Is there anything in the provisions? Because I've read it, I, and I trust your opinion on this. Has you have you seen anything in what's being proposed by the Republicans that deals with waste, fraud, and abuse? No, no, I, I've no. I've not seen that. That's in appalling. Any way. The the House version of House Bill seventy six was just a clean Medicaid expansion bill, as Barack Obama would have written it. Um, that's not a joke. That's probably how he would have written it. And then uh, the, the Senate has put in some supply-side reforms um, to deal with some certificate of need. Uh, and then they have this sort of workforce transition program, which is good policy outside of Medicaid expansion. But they could have just done that without passing Medicaid. It's not even relevant necessarily to Medicaid. But nothing so, about uh, waste, fraud, and abuse. Yeah. That, so, again, you would have thought that would have been one of the first things that a conservative would have put on there and say, hey, we need to recoup some of this. We need to go after this. It wasn't that long ago that counties were paying for part of it, and they didn't go after it because if they found $20 million, they didn't get one dime of the savings. So they weren't going to spend additional taxpayer money to go after a federal uh, program administered by the state and county. So it, it is a little ludicrous that we're not going after the supply side. And let's transition over to certificate of need, which is a horrific policy. I've said this prevents competition. It doesn't allow Donald and Chad to go open up a dialysis center or any other kind of medical facility to compete with the hospital cartels. We have a protected cartel system, as Dale Falwell says, and you and I can't open it without spending almost a million dollars to get a blessing from the governor to compete against those existing hospitals. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, North Carolina has 27 separate certificate of need laws. There are 27 separate, you know, um, medical facilities or medical services or medical products that require a certificate of need from the state. And you describe the process very, very well. But with that 27, that makes us the state with the second highest number of certificate of need laws, uh, just behind Hawaii with 28 and just ahead of Vermont with 25. That is not great company for us to be keeping yeah. in terms of public policy. Um, they've made a little bit of progress in this Medicaid expansion bill that passed through the Senate Rules Committee today, and it looks like they'll do a second reading vote uh, on Monday evening in the state Senate. Uh, but, um, you know, if we get, if we pass the reforms that are in here, we still will have 24 uh, certificate of need laws in the state, uh, tying us for fourth with West Virginia, which is still not a great place for us to be. The, the astounding reality here is that those certificate of need laws are costing lives in North Carolina. They're costing money. They're costing opportunity. That These things prevent competition. So every citizen listening to this, that certificate of need law is one of the most horrendous pieces. Like Donald said, <clears throat> imagine you couldn't have competition for mechanics. Imagine you couldn't have competition for grocery stores. 
that you just had one grocery store in your market and you were forced to shop only at that grocery store and that if a farmer's market wanted to open up or another competing grocery store, they had to get a million dollar permission slip from the governor to open up a grocery store. It's one of the most un-American things we've got in our books. And Donald, correct me, where am I wrong in saying that? Uh, you're, you're not wrong on, on that at all. You know, the Reagan administration got rid of the federal certificate, certificate of need law. So in some ways, I guess I'm glad that North Carolina Republicans are catching up with the 1980s. But I feel like we can go a lot further. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, let's say that Medicaid expansion is a good idea. I'm not saying that, but let's just for a thought experiment do that. If we wanted to expand Medicaid, we should have expanded the supply of health care in the state. Yep five years ago so that it can set up so that it can be set up and in place. But for whatever reason, the left and now the, the legislative Republicans are acting like if we expand Medicaid and do a little bit of certificate of need work, you know, these rural counties in North Carolina that don't even have a general practitioner and there are counties like that, uh, doctors are just so suddenly going to judge, drop out of right. the sky because we've expanded Medicaid. And Donald Bryson realistic. that's a pipe dream. Donald Bryson, our guest from the John Locke Foundation. We're talking about Certificate of Need, Medicaid expansion, and what a horrendous policy this is. Right now, I've got to kick things over to Boomer Von Cannon for traffic. What's going on, Boomer? Joining us from the, 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 the swamp of North Carolina, I guess, is Donald Bryson. He of the John Locke Foundation, formerly of Civitas. Don's been on the front, Donald's been on the front lines of, of many of these, these issues. We're talking about Certificate of Need. We're talking about Medicaid expansion, which Republicans have put out there uh, to say, hey, we, we're going to reform Certificate of Need about 11 percent and but we're going to expand medicaid now now donald are it, and republicans don't want to really be on record openly supporting certificate of need you've done a lot of polling have you ever polled the general assembly to see because they always say they're against certificate of need almost every single person other than the democrats that i've ever spoken to says i can't stand it i want to get rid of it but i don't see a bill proposed to just eliminate all the certificate of need laws why is that well, that's a really great, great question. Uh, certificate of need laws were formed oh, back in the 1970s across many states, and the federal government had one for a while. And the point, a bad one, was to um, uh, was to basically uh, try to control uh, prices uh, for health care. Now, that was a sort of backwards thinking. They were trying to prevent sort of the escalation of prices, and the way that you do that is not by controlling competition in the marketplace. Uh, I think everybody generally agrees with that. And so what we have, you know, still in 2023 in North Carolina is that hospitals uh, and some members of the medical society don't want to get rid of these certificates of need laws because it allows for competition for things like outpatient surgery centers or kidney dialysis centers, um, you know, chemical dependency beds, that sort of thing uh, to compete with the local hospitals. And of course, they don't want that competition. And so they pressure the General Assembly through uh, pretty aggressive lobbying, um, you know, and campaign funding and that sort of thing to uh, not do that. And so we, we are still one of those states with the highest amount of certificate of need laws. We have uh, a, a very severe problem in, in some instances of uh, supply of, let's say, hospital beds, psychiatric beds. And we're short about 500 MRI machines, according to the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, um, you know, we're short 500 MRI machines uh, here in North Carolina. But, you know, that's, that's imaging devices that doctors need to know what's wrong with you. But certificate of need doesn't allow, you know, doctors and hospitals to expand you know, however they need to. They have to go to the state and beg for permission. But do we have any polling information to, to give us a feel for how 
everyone's current representative feels about this because it's, it's they always publicly say it's terrible. But I'm not. Are you aware of any legislation proposed by Republican or Democrat to get rid of these laws? Uh, not this session. No, and I don't have any polling information, <laughs> but uh, not, not on that anyway. But I, uh, uh, you know, there has not been any legislation filed this session to get rid of the certificate of need laws. Uh, there has been in the past to get rid of them, but it, it seems like that is an effort that legislative Republicans have simply given up on. Uh, I'll give them some credit in the state Senate in that they have filed the SAVE Act, which would, it's not related to the certificate of need, but it would expand the scope of practice of nurse practitioners and some nurses so that they would be able to do more things in these rural counties that don't have enough you know, health care providers. And that would actually help a lot. That's a, a supply side reform to open up the market. But uh, somehow or another, the Senate Republicans didn't get that into the negotiation with the House to be part of Medicaid expansion. So what's so what's next? I mean, so well, they're going to. I mean, it looks like they've tried to put a few potential poison pills in this Medicaid expansion. The governor's not getting all he wants, but he's getting a lot of it. It's a big victory for a lame duck. What's the reason why this is so important heading into the twenty twenty four elections for the Republicans to do this? What's what's the the win for the Republicans here? Well, you know, we were discussing that here at the John Locke Foundation. Uh, just this morning, what what is the win? You know, it, it made sense when they were talking. Well, it made some sense when the, politically when they were talking about it last year, because you know if they expanded Medicaid, then for people that were supportive of Medicaid expansion or whatever, they could make it a campaign issue and take that away from Republicans. But look, Republicans have a supermajority in the state Senate. They're one vote shy of a supermajority in the state House. They won without expanding Medicaid. Uh, it appears from hearing comments from Senator Phil Berger, who is the leader of the state Senate. Uh, he's from Rockingham County. That uh, he's, you know, he and you know, Republicans in the General Assembly want to use Medicaid expansion as a negotiating piece with the governor on some things that will be in the state budget, and they want Medicaid expansion to be part of the budget. That's going to include things like school choice expansion, which is great, but it's also going to include things like tax cuts. Now, don't get me wrong; I've never met a tax cut that I don't like, Chad. I, I'm a big fan of some tax cuts, being a fiscal conservative. But it feels a little irresponsible, doesn't it, to expand entitlements by half a million people and cut taxes at the same time? It, it, it seems like passing the buck a little bit. And, and look, I do want to give uh, Berger and others in the General Assembly some credit here. They have ushered in tremendous tax cuts over the past decade. They balanced the budget, left it with a surplus. Their, their spending proclivities have been curtailed. So this is why this is such a mystery. To expand, it's almost like they said, well, if the federal government wants to spend more money, that's good. We're not going to spend more money, and North Carolina is going to rake in some of that federal money after the federal government wastes a lot of it. It's still taxpayer money. Am I right? Oh, it is. It is still. Yeah. It, it's one of two things. It's either taxpayer money, or, and this is more likely, it's deficit money. This is debt yeah. that the federal government borrowing. is going to have to take on because let's not kid ourselves. The federal budget is not balanced, so we're having to borrow mo more money uh, at the federal level so that North Carolina can expand Medicaid. What I really look forward to is, is just the mental gymnastics it's going to take. For some of these Republicans who inevitably will run for Congress that are currently in the General Assembly to say that they expanded Medicaid, but they're really a fiscal hawk and will be when they go to Congress. And they're just going to be lying. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I'm kind of astounded by this. I want to keep you on for another segment because we didn't even get to the rural hospital dilemma, which is part of this is under the auspices of saving rural hospitals by, I guess, creating another revenue stream via tax dollars. So the hospitals aren't doing well. 
And, and the hospital cartels, the ones that are raking in billions of dollars and gobbling up some hospitals, are sitting back mm-hmm. just counting more, more dollars. And it doesn't, none of this makes our healthcare system better. None of it makes it more competitive. Competition would actually drive prices down. And these, Ameri- these ASCs, the American Surgical Centers that are popping up, are being precluded from really being a part of this in North Carolina. And at some point, we've got to get to the point that we know what we're paying for. None of this, all of this obfuscates what the health healthcare costs are, and insurance obfuscates it more. So, Donald, can you stay with us for another segment? Because i got to get to a lot. I'll do whatever you want, Chad. I'm happy to Man. Donald Bryson staying with us here. Chad, I'm your guest host here at News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. We'll be back after this break. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim? He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear. Old Grouch's on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Donald Bryson, our guest from the John Locke Foundation. Donald, you know, some people are saying we need to do this to save our rural hospitals. The hospitals absorb 10% of the cost, but they make, we're throwing more Medicaid people in there. So the federal government's throwing more money at these hospitals. This still doesn't, this seems like the wrong-headed approach to, to adding more hospital beds in North Carolina and services. It, it, it is the wrong-headed approach, and it's wrong-headed in, in two ways. And I'm not going to sit here and deny that rural hospitals are struggling, uh, but I'm, I also think that there's a reason that rural hospitals are struggling. They're, rural North Carolina is shrinking. That's why rural hospitals are struggling. It, it's not because... You know, they have too much competition. We have to keep the competition out. Uh, It's because the way that we have influenced our economy and and sort of things like that in the state that we are incentivizing people to leave rural North Carolina and move to urban North Carolina. Uh, And we have to stop doing that. Uh, You know, we have in state after state that has expanded Medicaid. You know, if you look at Arkansas, one of the earliest states to expand Medicaid, rural hospitals are still closing in Arkansas. They're still closing in Pennsylvania. They're still closing in Oregon. That's just a fact. Medicaid expansion is not going to be a silver bullet. And if you want to, you know, continue, you know, the, the point that the, what rural counties need is health care, not necessarily a rural hospital. So when those hospitals still inevitably close, you're still going to have people in rural areas who don't have access to care. They fixed nothing with this. Uh, the other thing is that in order to pay for the state's 10 percent expense of the expansion costs, you know, with the federal government taking on 90 percent, is that they're going to increase the bed tax that is assessed on hospitals. But let's be honest, we know good and well that hospitals aren't just going to eat that cost, are they? No. No, of course not. They're going to pass that on to the bills in some way or another to everyone who goes through those hospitals. So, no, North Carolinians individually are not going to see this in their tax bill, but they're going to end up paying for it one way or the other. This is, it's, a, it's a real shell game that they're trying to uh, do with how we're going to functionally pay for this through the hospitals. It is, and, and yet Democrats are excited. This is something Democrats have been excited about for years, just the expansion. The, it's free. I mean, if you listen to Josh Stein, who's the, the AG, he has made comments about it. Roy Cooper's made comments. I think Robert Rees, a uh, uh, minority leader in the House, has made comments. They all say it's free money. We should tell you it's free money. And it's this, it's this very bizarre 
way of looking at money that's taken away from the folks who earn it, sent to the federal government, and it's free. Like you said, we're in deficit and debt spending up there. We, you look at the U.S. debt clock, you see that thing trickling away, and this isn't money that's there. It's money that has to be borrowed. It's not free. No, it's not free. It's absolutely not free, and uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't understand why they can't get that through their minds and you know, there's some argument that they're making that, you know, they have some obligation to, um, you know, help the state of North Carolina. And I agree that there there are obligations to help the state and taxpayers of North Carolina who also happen to be federal taxpayers. And for whatever reason, they seem to have lost that, that we are part of a larger nation. Um, I, right. I think we need some civics education possibly at the General Assembly, but I don't know why free federal money is suddenly a good thing. Um, this is a stark, uh, uh, I don't know, it, it is Republicans removing themselves from the Reaganism that government is not the solution, government is the problem. And, and to dovetail on that, don't, you know, with all the tax cuts and the reform to state spending that we've seen over the past decade, this seems like a stark departure from that. And I don't mean to sound alarmist here, but it is a, it is a, it's a 180 degree turn. I, I wrote yesterday that this was one of the most significant 180 degree philosophical turns we've seen in North Carolina political history in the, in the past at least 20, 40, 60 years, maybe longer, where someone openly said this is a bad idea. Many of the members of the General Assembly that are there now, that were there 10 years ago, said this was a terrible idea. Even as recently as a year and a half ago or a year ago, they were saying it's a terrible idea. Now this about face it did the hospital cause this? Who's gotten to the General Assembly that made this suddenly be important? And, and and by the way, Republicans are running from this with respect to microphones. They really are. They don't want to talk about this much. No, they don't want to talk about it about it very much because a lot of them have to go back and run in primaries in their districts. And I don't know how they get away from the fact that, you know, hey, you voted to expand Obamacare. Let's talk about how popular Obamacare is among Republican voters. It's not. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I think the hospital lobby has kept up a very aggressive drumbeat, as I've said in, in previous segments on this. And then they're trying to cut a deal with Roy Cooper. Uh, and in this, to get whatever tax cuts they're going to get or whatever out of the budget, um, they're giving Roy Cooper the crowning achievement of his tenure as governor. This is the thing he, he wanted to expand Medicaid by executive order his first week in office. And that was challenged yes. in court and was struck down. And this is this is. This is the thing that he has absolutely wanted. And for whatever reason, they're giving him a win by expanding a Democrat-run program. And if you want to know how Democrats and the left feel about it, and you know, I, I work at a nonpartisan organization, but let's be honest, Democrats are generally on the left. Republicans are generally on the right. It's not always true, but generally speaking. Um, uh, Roy Cooper tweeted uh, uh, and a, you know, sort of applause for the General Assembly for, for doing this. The only yes, he, did. he had is that he wanted to do it faster. And then Joe Biden tweeted about it, saying, great, this is good bipartisan work and something that I've been saying we should be doing for a long time. When the only praise you're getting is from the left, and the only criticism you're getting is from you know, the likes of the John Locke Foundation and Pete Callender and Chad Adams, you really need to you know, look around and see who your friends are. And they're not doing this right now. It is a bit shocking. I mean, Indie Week, you know, a leftist publication, the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation, uh, the Biden administration, uh, Southern Poverty Law. All you, I could just go on. The list goes on and on of of 
the accolades pouring in from leftist organizations, from Soros-related organizations, from all of these groups in K Street in D.C., and even leftist groups in North Carolina that are, that are excited, ecstatic with Republicans. If they're the ones cheering and putting wind in your sails, you probably are headed in the wrong direction. And I'm all for, look, there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And with respect to this, is this is bad policy. And, and to an earlier point, Nobody that you've talked to says that Medicaid will be more fiscally responsible in 10 years, more efficient, uh, and spend less in 10 years. None of this addresses the issues of the day in making medical care better, more affordable, or more transparent. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. You you actually put the, the problems very succinctly. All we are doing is giving low-quality insurance, low-quality federal government insurance, to 500,000 people who some of them may need help. At the same time, we know that somewhere between 75 to 80% of this population are uh, childless, able-bodied, working-age adults who just don't have a job. And uh, or, or and we're not, you know, finding a way to get these people employed. Instead, you know, we're putting them on to Medicaid. Further, uh, we know from data from the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is not at all a conservative organization, we know that of the uninsured population in North Carolina, which expansion is supposed to be helping, 338,000 around about thereof uh, uh, would qualify for free plan, free insurance plans on the Obamacare exchange, which will be set through private companies. But under the way Obamacare is written, you know, the, the Affordable Care Act is written, if you qualify for Medicaid and your state has expanded Medicaid, you have to take Medicaid. You cannot be on private insurance. So remember, if you like your plan, you have to keep your plan. That promise is broken, and we're about to take, through this Republican-led Medicaid expansion, we're going to remove possibly hundreds of thousands of people off of private insurance and put them onto Medicaid. Well, Donald, I appreciate you being a part of the show. Donald Bryson at the John Locke Foundation, someone who's on the front lines of this. Uh, people can find out more by going to johnlock.org, johnlock.org. Thanks for being a part of the broadcast, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, Chad. It's always a pleasure to talk to this crowd in Charlotte. You heard what's going on with respect to Medicaid expansion. It comes with a great deal of consternation as we peer out across the political landscape, and you have to wonder the the why. And Donnie Lambeth's, you know, the only – the only quote I could really find that makes sense is that, that you know, they want to find a way to plug in 600,000 people who they feel, they call them the gap. They're the people that fall between coverage from Obamacare, which is a subsidized health insurance, and Medicaid, which is a certain income level. So adding people, adding over half a million people, think about, I want you to think about that gap comment for a second. So you've got, you know, a million plus folks below a certain level that are getting it, and then you've got several million up above that level that are getting it, and you just want to add more people to it. Why aren't we looking at why? <laughs> why is this health insurance thing such a mess? And it's, it's because we have no free market in our healthcare system now. There's a few. There's a few places out there that'll take cash. There's a few places out there where you can see what it costs. Next time you go to your doctor, just look at that hallway of endless files and the people that work in there just processing the bureaucracy that complies with either government, complies with health insurance. And when you see the giant places that these health insurance companies sit in, these palaces, the billions of dollars that flow through there, they're making money. They're making, and I'm not, I'm not begrudging anyone making money. But 
let's at least have an honest discussion about the way our healthcare system is set up because health insurance is not healthcare. We've equated it to that. And what we really, what most people want is a catastrophic policy. But wouldn't it be neat if you went to the doctor like you did the car wash or you, the grocery store and you went and you said, look, I just need a, I need a uh, physical. And you go in and it costs you a hundred bucks. Instead of having to file paperwork and not understand what the heck's going on. Or you need a test. And, and if you had a catastrophic policy, lo and behold, if something horrible did happen, and to all of us un- uh, at some point in time it will, whether it's you know an immediate horrible thing or a long-term illness, all of us are destined for that mortality. That I, that I think it, it preys on our fears. I think insurance and the hospitals prey on our worst fears and think, well, we need to have this, this ancillary way of, of, of shielding us from the horrific nature of our own mortality, that, that this insurance makes us feel safer. It feels like, oh, if something does go wrong. But insurance, if you'll think about it, insurance, and I want to go back and do a little bit of history here. Insurance was really kind of the create the, the impetus for how commerce moved forward. It's being used in this instance to move commerce backward. But if you were to think ships coming to the new world, when a company invested in a, in a ship, it didn't know if it was going to make it here. I mean, the, the seas were tough. There was no weather. There was the climate could change very quickly on a ship that just was driven by wind. It didn't know. So if a ship, if a company put all their investment in one ship to come over to to Philadelphia or or you know earlier, it it was a huge risk. So an insurance company applied a way of of mitigating that risk. A way for a company to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're also going to pay insurance. And then when that ship gets there, that's great. And if it doesn't, then we're covered and we can continue operating as a business. That's what insurance is good for. That's where it's great. But in healthcare, it's not about that. It's not necessarily, you're not being rewarded for being healthier. You know, we can't say the word fat. We can't say the word crazy. We can't say all these words, this this woke society. And, And we're not taking care of ourselves. Just walk around. Just walk around to any store and look at around your fellow Americans. We're not a healthy lot. So we're continuing to break ourselves down, and we, we continue to think someone else's responsibility to take care of us. And earlier in this discussion today, you heard me talk about the type of parenting where you have to be. Now, there are horrible diseases that affect children and, and young adults and adults, and there are horrible accidents that happen. That's horrific, part of the human condition, unfortunately. It affects us all. And we want to know that we're not one mistake or genetic predilection away from bankruptcy. But that is a problem with our healthcare system. We don't know what we're paying for it. We have no idea. If I were to interview all of you listening, you have no idea. And that, that's not a statement of your ignorance. It's a statement of the, the design. The hospitals don't want you to know what you're paying for. And there's a serious problem. They don't want any, any group that doesn't want competition, that doesn't want you to know what things cost, those are dangerous. Those are dangerous. And I'm not, you know, at some point the legislature and others need to stand up. If we're able to stand up, if the government's able to hold hearings about the power of social media companies, we should be holding hearings about the dangers of our hospital cartels. We should be holding hearings about a way to make sure we have a free market healthcare system. Because we are being consumed by it. We are being overwhelmed by it. We are being psychically drained, psychologically worn down by it. And we're being prescribed things out of our minds. We are being prescribed medications and we have a horrific both fentanyl problem, 
drug problem and pill popping problem that's been brought and brought onto us by this entire system, aided and abetted by pharma. Now, pharma, on the one hand, does some amazing things, but on the other, it knows that there's a problem and it still produces the pills that they know. Co- <laughs> they know they know we have an opioid epidemic, and they're producing. 50 times more opioids than, than we need as consumers. So we need to have a revolution. There is much more to go. We have just finished up hour two. You want to get in on the conversation, you give us a call at 704-570-1110. They'll get you straight in. Hour three, getting ready to be underway here at the Pete Callender Show. I'm your guest host, Chad Adams. Stay tuned. Stay <laughs> tuned. 